Welcome to Are You Quizzing Me? I'm Vinit Nair with my co-host Aditya Kashyap. This is a quizzing trivia podcast show. Join us as we dive deep into history, science, sport, pop culture and so much more. Let's get quizzing. And we're back for episode number 49 of Are You Quizzing Me? Your favorite quizzing trivia podcast show. Aditya and I are back for another round of quizzing this week. Let's start off today's episode with the audience question. This is the question that I will answer at the end of the episode. With the po- fall in popularity of the Sentai series, Stan Lee, who was working at Gene Pelk at the time, on a trip to Japan in the early 70s, was much enamored by this form of television. Wanting to work on it, he signed off a famous character he had worked on for an adaptation. This series saw the first appearance of a large robot as a fighting machine in live action and paved the way for the later Super Sentai series. Which Marvel character was this TV show based on? We will reveal the answer to this question at the end of the episode. Now it's time for Aditya to tell us what the answer to his intriguing question was from last week. Aditya, over to you. So last week the question I asked was if a lozenge did not have a French origin. The word itself did not have a French origin and instead had an Indian origin. What would it be called? And keen listeners would remember that lozenge was called what it was called because it was in the shape of a rhombus. What is another quadrilateral which is kind of rhombus-like? A kite. What is a kite in Hindi? A patang. So that would have been a patangali. Oh God. That's what a lozenge would have been called. Patangali. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Took you on quite the journey there, didn't I, Vinay? Yes, yes, you did. You did. I had no idea where you were going with that one. So, Aditya, why don't you start off uh, off today's regularly scheduled programming this week with a question? All right. So, the first question that I had for this week, which is the oldest running software product line, the longest running software product line by Microsoft. The longest running software product line from Microsoft? Yes. Uh, Would that be Excel? No. Then it would have to be Paint. Technically, Windows would also be considered part of this. And all of this would have to be post-Windows. Okay. So this is pre-Windows you're talking about. Well, I kind of gave a hint here, yes. Windows is not the answer. There is something which has been longer running than Windows. By exactly three years, in fact. So, Microsoft had something that was uh, running longer than Windows and it's still available is what you're saying, right? Yes. So, it would have to be a software from the 80s. 1982, specifically. 1982. Do I get a clue? Okay, let me help you out a little bit. So I told you the first release was in 1982. 82, yes. The latest release was in 2020. The latest release was in 2020. Let me give you an additional clue right there. Okay. The Xbox edition of the same software was released in 2021. Okay, I've not used the Xbox. So maybe this hint helps by just thinking about what kind of softwares are on Xbox. What is Xbox meant for primarily? It's gaming. It's gaming. So... Yeah. So, we're talking games here. Wait. Is it Minesweeper or uh, Solid or... Is it Minesweeper or Solitaire? No. It isn't one of the games that is pre-installed on Windows. What else do you need to game? Is this something so glaringly obvious? It does. I overthink things so much that the simplest things are the ones that never come to me. No, not necessarily. This isn't very glaringly obvious. It is just a lovely piece of trivia, which is why I wanted to pose it as a question. I'm not even sure if you would have used this software or played this game. Oh, okay. But I'm pretty sure you've heard of it. What else does Microsoft... Like, I have played a lot of games that come pre-installed with Microsoft. I don't think this ever came pre-installed. This never came pre-installed, but was sold by Microsoft. Wow. Any other clue? Genre of game, at least. Let us go a little bit into description, which would hopefully give you a clue as to the genre as well. So this particular game began as a set of articles 
written by Bruce Artwick in 1976 about a 3D computer graphics program. When the magazine editor said that subscribers wanted to buy the program, Artwick set to work to create it and incorporated a company called Sublogic Corporation in 1977. The company began selling this particular game for several computer platforms and then there is a list of platforms 880, Altair 880, IMSAI 880, so on and so forth. And finally, the version released by Microsoft, definitive first version was in 1982. The article on 3D, uh, basically said it's a 3D uh, game. 3D computer graphics, yeah. 3D and back then there graphics. weren't a lot of those. It's a simulator. There's the last clue I'll give you. Oh my God, this is the Microsoft, uh, the aircraft simulator one. I'll give you that. Yeah, it's it's the right answer. Microsoft Flight Simulator. Flight Simulator. Yes. Oh my God, that's from 1982. It was insane to me the fact that that's the oldest running continuously running software product line by Microsoft, and it is as old as 1982. What? I wonder what the 1982 version looked like. <laughs> yeah, it was for the 16-bit computers, such as the IBM PC, which was still in development at that point. So. it wouldn't have been exceptional by any means but it was definitely mm. a simulator yeah and over time they have added new aircraft types augmented scenery they yeah. also in 2002 versions introduced two editions standard and professional so okay. they have they have developed it to a decent level i'd say and a flight simulator in 2020 was just called flight simulator Wow. the latest one that will be released which will be next year is called flight simulator 2024 nice yeah okay that i that was a complete til for me no idea no clue that it is what now it's 40 years old my god yeah it's 40 <laughs> more than 40 years old okay yep. so my question is um something as along the lines of what i've asked in the previous couple of episodes right it's a simple question i am not going to give you too many clues on this the united states air force is the largest air force in the world which is the second largest the united states air force is the largest air force in the world yes which is the second largest is it the us navy <laughs> why do i even bother <laughs> i was hoping you'd go to russia or china or somebody before i had to bring you back but yes it is the us navy I you know you should really at least do some hmm ah or something so that people listening to the <laughs> podcast will at least have something to do. It's going to be very annoying to them if you can just get to the answer so quickly. It's very bad of you, Aditya. <laughs> yes, it is. The U.S. Navy has enough aircraft to be classified as the second largest air force in the world. That was fast. Right. <laughs> And it's all your fault. I realize this because. Uh... I think when Top Gun came out, I went down a rabbit hole. And, ah, um, okay. Yeah, so that's that's where I encountered a fact like this. So, questions up to you now. All right. Ooh, this is one of my favorite type of questions: an accidental discovery, an accidental invention. Okay. So let me tell you a little story and tell me what came out of this incident. Okay. In the late 1930s. Swiss mm-hmm. physicist Walter Jaeger attempted to invent a sensor for poison gas. He expected the gas entering the sensor to bind to ionized air molecules and thereby alter an electric current in a circuit of the instrument. However, his device did not achieve its purpose as small concentrations of gas did not affect the sensor's conductivity. Frustrated, Jaeger then did something and was surprised at an unexpected result what did he do if you want to take a guess and subsequently what invention came out of this incident walter yega poison gas sensor but the poison gas did not change and this is what year in the late 1930s the late 1930s he wanted to make a poison gas detector the sensor didn't work so he did something to the sensor which then made it 
do something else. The poison gas was supposed to bind, create a molecule which would interrupt the electricity supply, right? That yeah. was what it was supposed to do. Yes. This is much too late for the cathode ray tube or anything, right? It's not that. I don't think mm. it's that. Yeah, it isn't. It isn't. Instead of getting caught up in the technical aspect of it, I would advise you think about what could Jaeger have done in his frustration. In his frustration, uh, he threw it. He broke it. That, yeah, that, fair enough. <laughs> that would be the first instinct. But no, not destructive. <laughs> at least, not at least not destructive to the device. Okay. Oh. You already perhaps a little destructive to, to himself. He tried to breathe in the poison gas and kill himself because he failed the test. What is he Japanese? Oh, oh no 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 no! Walter Jaeger was not that intense about his work, but he was frustrated and he needed to calm down. So what could he have done? Wait, is this a, okay? This is a this is a fire alarm. This is a, one of those smoke detectors. He lit a cigarette and he realized that the instrument registered a drop in current. And that's how a smoke detector came to be. Very nice, very nice. Did you know that uh, many smoke detectors have a small amount of radioactive material in them? Oh, I did not know that. Not here. I mean, like, I don't know if that's still the case, but um, apparently in the past, there it, smoke detectors were... Uh, known to have a tiny amount of americum, I think it was. Tiny amount of uh, radioactive material. And I read somebody, about, you know, scavenging hundreds of these to get enough, uh, you know, material to do something. I remember reading it vaguely when uh, when I was a kid. But nice. Very oh, nice. Interesting. Yeah. Just to give some additional information, by the way, there were some fire alarms that were patented earlier. So in 1890, there was an Automatic electric fire alarm that was patented uh, by a, by an associate of Thomas Edison, actually, Francis Robbins Upton. In 1902, George Darby patented the first European electrical heat detector in England. So they were doing something along those lines, but they were probably detecting for heat. And Jaeger and his little mishap and accident guided us towards smoke detection instead. Okay, going along with my theme of very silly questions for today. Neanderthals, you've heard of Neanderthals, right? They were precursors of modern-day humans. Sure. Now, imagine Neanderthal. Imagine you're looking at a textbook or a picture of a Neanderthal. And in almost all of them, Neanderthals, they have very poor posture, right? They're slouching Uh a little bit, right? They're very muscular, but they're slouching. They're shorter than us. Correct. Right. Now, the fact is that Neanderthals never had poor posture, at least no more than modern-day humans. And never slouched more than any modern day human either. But in practically every depiction that we see, you see them slouching. They're having poor posture and they're shorter. Do you know why? Right. Oh, interesting. Does it have anything to do with just simple aesthetics? Because it looks nicer and we like to believe we are the pinnacle. That that would make sense from a design point of view. But no, actually this was just faulty science... Basically, this was just science meeting a random occurrence. It was just luck that it happened to be this way. The luck of the draw. If things had gone a different way, we would have had a more accurate depiction of Neanderthals. At least with regards to their posture. Okay, I I don't have any clues. I'm going to make some educated guesses. Yes, yes, because this is guessable. Uh, I mean, like you either you if you know it, you know it. But otherwise, this is very guessable. You can try and guess as to why we would have such a inaccurate impression of Neanderthals. So I would assume it might be because we have found a grave with Neanderthals in it and they were curled up slightly in that grave? You're very, very close. You're very close. But, uh, you know, people don't look at postures because after thousands of years, you don't get (laughs) skeletons in that curved form or anything. They're usually just... Not that accurate. (laughs) Yeah. They usually just bones scattered about in the uh, fossil record. Unless you're a much bigger animal. Interesting. So how would they then estimate the posture of a creature? Okay, so just go, go through the process, right? So say, for example, you're excavating a dinosaur or a human, a Lucy or whoever, right? So you get bones. Uh-huh. 
from a particular sure. uh, prehistoric site right uh, archaeologists sure. and paleontologists they would be digging out those bones the bones would be taken to a museum and then cleaned and what's the next thing they do after you get like a number of bones they try to assemble it yes okay so did they mix up two different individuals no, no. they had a they what? had a relatively complete uh, neanderthal skeleton in 1908 so then was it just an old uh, person who was hunched over and uh, Not, hence they thought that no because neanderthals didn't have that much of a lifespan so it wasn't like old but you're very very close i can almost oh give it to you but so, i just oh, want to see if you can guess what oh, it is did, did this person have some bone defect bone disease did they have a... i'll give it to you i'll give it to you yeah so the first relatively complete neanderthal skeleton found in 1908 just happened to be one that suffered from arthritis <laughs> oh no oh that is just so bad for the entire species i <laughs> yeah so because although sometimes depicted as having poor posture and in most pictures they do they're shown as slouching a little bit neanderthals did not slouch any more than humans did today it's just the luck <laughs> of the draw that the first relatively complete skeleton we found happened to be one that suffered from arthritis you know i'm imagining that particular neanderthal's mom just telling him that sit up right properly you're going to ruin your posture <laughs> he ruined it for the entire species not just for himself <laughs> no i but i guess there will be more of like uh, grunts because i don't think they had language when uh, you don't ruin my joke with your technical <laughs> expertise <laughs> unless, unless you put them in the flintstones world with the winston cigarette yeah exactly exactly <laughs> with the winston cigarette yeah <laughs> yeah so all my questions are like this today all are very silly questions so be prepared i love them i already love them so much okay okay next one from you take the baton since we are talking about silly questions here's a really silly one which you'll only realize once the answer is revealed <laughs> okay there is a 2023 song a song from this year called zanam and this is by a serbian singer songwriter teadora okay the song's title roughly translates to my nightmares okay it is about the expression of longing pain and rejection with the narrator feeling trapped and unloved the 3 minute long song emphasizes her despair and her dreams of a better life as she believes her fate is cursed how do we know this song zanam you said right yes by we you're talking about the world in general or india in particular i think it might be specific to india okay This is a 2023 song. Yeah. So the name of okay. the song was Zanam. The chorus translates to My Nightmares. Okay. And I told you about what the song was saying about pain and rejection. So how do we okay. in India know this song? Uh, has uh, Preetam stolen the song yet? At this point he won't be able to anymore because it's okay, too so popular. Okay, so it's that popular. Something to do with Instagram reels or something like that? You are not too far, yeah. Okay. Now this is where it gets really difficult. Wow. Because there are hundreds of these uh, real songs that uh, I know by, you know, listening to them, but if you asked me their name or who did it, I would not know. I'm looking for the specific name of the song and you would know the name of the song if you have just ever heard that song in a real also. But you said it's Serbian, right? But South Asian social media users have repurposed the song by incorporating a touch of dark humor into the videos dark humor in the videos did not prepare too many clues for this this is a repeating word it's a word repeated twice a zanam. four letter word repeated twice oh it's not zanam no, repeated zanam. twice no 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 zanam is just the name of the song but the chorus okay. is what uh, the south asian community has <laughs> made into a viral trend word repeated twice and starts with the letter m <laughs> you know you shouldn't really give clues like this it just make it just really makes me feel stupid okay uh starts with the letter <laughs> m and repeated twice at this point the listeners have figured it out i must tell you yeah i i'm i'm fairly sure of that nope you'll have to tell me what this is i have no clue 
Gavinit, I'm gonna in my husky voice <laughs> for the week. I'm gonna try and sing it for you. Okay. Yes, yes, please. It goes, moe moe, moe moe. I do not see uh, any recognition in your eyes. Oh my God, I'm so dis- <laughs> I'm so disappointed in you, Gavinit, right now. <laughs> yeah, no, you I, have not encountered moe moe. The the moe moe sounds familiar, but I can't place it anywhere. Now, am I really uh, okay. outing myself as a, a philistine when it comes to social media, which I am actually? But still, you are, you are. Oh my Moe god! Moe. Okay, I honestly just asked this because you said you are really into the reels and memes culture. That's why. Yeah, no, I I just go down these rabbit holes while I just you know keep swiping and I keep listening. But most of them just to kill time. Like while I'm doing something really boring or I just need a break to you know clear my head, I just keep doing that. You know, I just keep scrolling. Most of them I'm not even paying attention to what they're saying or what they're doing. Unless it's like a very funny something really funny. Here's the note to the listeners: I believe Vineet uh, is flexing right now because he probably has very intellectual reels that show up on his <laughs> suggested list. Unlike yeah, us plebs who <laughs> are entertained by moe moe. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't, I don't yeah 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 no I, the reels by Reading Room India and things like that are what usually show up for me. <laughs> Okay, I'll tell you the one that I first saw this in, uh, and it might have been viral slightly earlier than that. But I remember the one that uh, caught my attention. It okay. was a man offering tea to his friends in a steel ka glass or something like that, and the friends complained that, uh, "Yeah, it's not a cup." And that man goes, "Because Australia took the cup home." Okay. And then it goes more and more. So it's just supposed to be this ridiculous. Uh, sad, dark humor kind of a <laughs> situation, and then they just start singing "moy moy" and they start doing this very weird dance. Um, it is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Well, now I've given you something of a new rabbit hole. Please go pollute your highbrow yes. <laughs> Instagram content with this <laughs> complete lowbrow con- humor. Ah, it's a basity. But chalo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll move on to my next question. Moving on from something to a little more historical, the flood that occurred in London on seventeenth October, eighteen fourteen, killed eight people. Okay. A similar flood occurred recently in Portugal in September. This time, luckily, there was only some property damage. What was unique okay. about these two floods? So, on the first occasion, it killed eight people, and the second time, there was just uh, property damage. Yes, and I, these are like Sorry. only maybe two occurrences of this in the past. God knows how many years. I couldn't find any other instances. These are the only two times that I could find that this kind of a flood happened. And the first time it was was in eighteen fourteen, and it killed eight people. And then recently in Portugal, but this time there was only property damage. So what was unique about these two floods? Sorry, uh, first time was eighteen fourteen. A one eight one four. Yes. So that would be during the regency period. That was in London. So there's London. a good chance this may show up in Bridgerton, by the way. <laughs> oh, interesting! And the second instance was uh, recently in September of 2023 in Portugal. Oh, they are not exactly the same, but they have something very much in common. Mm, wow, I cannot even think of what this might be. I have no clue right now. Okay, so the. Uh, only clue I can give, because there aren't many clues I can give for this without giving away the answer. Uh, let's just say that these were man-made floods, technically speaking. Man-made floods. I mean, those aren't uncommon. What with dams and all that? Does it have anything to do with the dam? Nothing to do with dams. Nothing to do with dams. And also, I can give you an additional clue that it wasn't raining at all. Well, no more. It is London in October, so. No more than usual, anyway. <laughs> okay, I I don't even know how this would be possible. But does it have anything to do with the groundwater? No, no, nothing to do with groundwater. Okay. Oh, was there? Was this not a water flood? Was it some other liquid that was flooding? Okay, closer, closer. Oh wow! <laughs> I have no clue where to go from this though. Did a wine cellar flood? <laughs> you caught it. So these are both floods caused by alcoholic beverages. Oh wow! Okay. So the London <laughs> beer flood, and this is a real thing. The London beer flood was an accident at Mew and Co's, 
Horseshoe Brewery, London on 17th October 1814. It took place when one of the 22-foot-tall wooden vats of fermenting porter burst. The escaping okay. liquid dislodged the valve of another vessel and destroyed several large barrels. Between 128,000 and 323,000 imperial gallons, which is roughly around 580,000 to 1.5 million litres of beer were released in total. The resulting wave of beer destroyed the back wall of the brewery and swept into an area of slum dwellings known as the St. Giles Rookery. Eight people were killed. The brewery was nearly bankrupted okay. by the event and it avoided a collapse after a rebate from the HM Excise on the lost beer. This is when the brewing industry stopped using large wooden vats. Now, in okay. September of 2023, something similar happened in Portugal when roughly 2.2 million litres of wine poured out of two uh-huh. burst tanks at Destileria Levira. You can actually see videos online where there's a river of wine coursing down a hilly street. It just caused some property damage. This time, nobody died. So, these are the only two occurrences I could find of alcoholic beverages causing a flood. Oh, okay. That I'm surprised that these are the only two instances though. Yeah, because I don't think anybody you else was crazy enough to make such huge vats. Like, what's the, like if you have a few barrels, it'll, what, it'll just cause a small... It's some basically beer or water would just flow down the street. That's it. We're talking about 1.5 to 2 million liters bursting at once. Well, Vineet, we're also talking about the human race and alcohol, and those two normally <laughs> don't result in the most. You know, I'm, I'm, I do agree decision. with that. I do agree with that. The thing is, by the time we were able to uh, create alcohol or produce it in such large quantities, uh, the 1814 flood happened. Right. And people learned, oh, you're not supposed to do this in wooden vats. And things were fine. Until again, this happened in Portugal. You're also implying that we learned from our mistakes again. <laughs> not something supported by history at all. <laughs> no, that's what I say. History doesn't repeat. Okay, history rhymes. It rhymes. All right. That is a fun question. All right. Okay. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. As I told you, all silly questions today. I love them. All right. Speaking of silly, this one is... As silly as it gets. Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight mm-hmm. was in Turkey sued by the mayor of a city. His name was Huisin Kalkan. This particular mayor wanted to sue the movie for royalty. Why was he trying to sue the movie? Because the town was called Batman. Oh, Vineet, I had like a whole <laughs> list of uh, hints prepared for this. <laughs> no, I knew this one. I knew this one. Okay. Actually, I should have prefaced with the fact that this is a question that was given to me by a listener, a very recent listener. Oh, nice. Came on board uh, very recently. Yeah, Anvesha, a friend of mine, who does not listen to podcasts at all, decided to give us a listen and um, she thought that this would be a fun little piece of trivia. So, clearly not uh, something that Vinith was unaware of. And uh, for the benefit of our listeners, Batman is the name of a city, the capital of Batman district in Batman province in Turkey. <laughs> and it is situated near the Batman river. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if it is pronounced Batman. It yeah, could be pronounced slightly so differently. Either. But it is, it is spelled in English as B-A-T-M-A-N. Uh, it had been having an economically lull period for a while. And in 2007, a journalist asked the mayor why he didn't look into suing the movie Batman for royalty, especially given that the economic problems the city was struggling with at the time. And hence, the mayor tried to sue. I believe eventually the lawsuit was dropped and nothing really came out of it except a little bit of publicity, I guess. But uh, he also implied that the movie had a severely negative psychological impact on the city's inhabitants. As a result, the film was to be blamed for a number of unsolved murders and a high female suicide rate. So I think he was stretching it a little bit by blaming the movie for a bunch of these issues in the city. Like, I can Uh, understand increased suicide rates after Batman and Robin, but not after The Dark Knight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in this case, uh, the lawsuit... 
never went through uh, but yeah if you're ever in turkey you can go visit batman okay so my last question for this week is again going with my silly team until 1961 the new york times had a period after the times a full stop right so you had new york times full stop that used to be the logo in 1961 okay. lou silverstein who was the promotional art director redesigned the logo right making the letters slightly thicker making it look much better and then he removed the period okay there was a lot of consternation and opposition at the times when he did this because nobody wanted to remove the period do you know what okay. finally convinced them that removing it was better oh uh, was this a specific news event that happened no no nothing related to the news this was completely internal and nothing to do with design this would seem abs- okay this would seem completely absurd but would they save a lot of money because they were not printing the period <laughs> yes not a lot of money <laughs> at least with some money so there was a lot of opposition until the production manager came up with the calculation that eliminating the period would save some 600 dollars a year wow that in, is in, not not insignificant <laughs> no, really 600 dollars cool. a year 600 dollars in 1961 Roughly calculates yeah. to just over six thousand dollars a year now. Well, uh, given the state of journalism, that is like a whole. But come on, this is the New York year. Times you are talking about. Print journalism is dying, Vineet. Not sure if you've heard the news recently, because there isn't any to hear anymore. <laughs> there isn't any more <laughs> news. It's all dead. The print journalism is dead. People keep saying that, but we still see newspapers. getting published i think it's just a print portion of it journalism isn't dead i mean mm. like do we really need to care about whether it's print or online it's just nostalgic value uh-huh. right now fair enough fair enough yeah and you are, i mean like at least in india the uh, street food scene keeps single handedly keeps the paper industry alive the newspaper industry <laughs> you don't need readers for that that is true no you you do have other consumers as well uh, it is uh, my mum's favorite when she has to pack any crockery items yes and uh, anything delicate as well yeah we we do have multiple uses for newspapers yeah so print journalism is not dying i guess <laughs> <laughs> no hmm i believe we do have time for one question each more i believe what do you say vinith should we do one more round yes yes let's go for it let's go for it Okay, so are you aware of a gentleman by the name of Jim Henson? He was the animatronics and puppeteer person, right? Um, he used to make these uh, models and um, animals for movies. Get out! Like how? How do you know such things? What? Uh, where is the brain space to keep all this information? I thought that was common knowledge. <laughs> I don't know, boy, boy, but I know Jim Henson. <laughs> <laughs> you have dated yourself <laughs> okay yeah. so jim henson born in 1936 passed away in 1990 was an american puppeteer animator cartoonist actor inventor and filmmaker who yeah. achieved worldwide notability as the creator of the muppets hmm. he is obviously very well known in that particular field and a significant achievement of the creator of muppets now jim henson owned a lotus eclat the car lotus eclat which was stolen in 1979 and used in a bank robbery however the police quickly apprehended the robbers and managed to retrieve the car why was that the case did the robbers use uh, like muppet masks that were in the car <laughs> no no uh, they did not use muppet masks or they did not make any intentional reference to the muppets but there was an unintentional giveaway right there wait uh, uh did he have like a vanity plate on his car where the plate read like muppets mpts or something like that i'm not sure what the uh, vanity plate read but no in this case it wasn't the vanity plate okay not that either okay okay yeah and i would also imagine any bank robber worth his salt would at least try to alter the 
number plate name plate of the car that he has stolen so uh, no in this case it wasn't the name plate number plate of the car he stole his car which was a lotus uh, what was the model he mentioned a lotus eclat okay a lotus eclat they stole it yeah. used it in a bank robbery but then they were caught very quickly so the connection obviously is to do with jim hansen jim hansen yes yeah uh, because the first thing would obviously being it being his car he would have something mapati or puppetry related uh, in it so maybe they use that but you said it's not that the other thing would be but mm. the car would be instantly identifiable was it did he have some kind of decal on the roof which they didn't notice but was visible from a helicopter something a lot more basic something a lot more yeah, basic I, yeah this is the problem that every you should ask has. things where which i can you should ask questions where i can overthink stuff you know you should never ask something simple <laughs> um okay let me help you out a little bit over here it is not the easiest to crack at least with the information i've given you so far car and uh, hansen was known to be a car enthusiast the car had a nickname called karmit that people and fans have given a name much later it was called karmit it was bright green in color <laughs> yes it is the case that the color of the car <laughs> was custom painted to a shade of green to mimic kermit the frog and also <laughs> the headlight had stickers which looked like kermit the frog so it was so easily identifiable that the police had no trouble <laughs> apprehending the robbers and retrieving the car you know you know you know what i find really ironic was that like uh, a few minutes ago uh, and listeners you can rewind and uh, aditya himself said i think any bank robber worth his salt would at least change the license plate you think that this bank robber worth his salt did not notice that he was driving a bright green car uh, you know in his defense he might have thought that a lot of cars are in that color <laughs> it just so happened that Yeah hey, hey listen he might have been a color blind uh, <laughs> bank robber really. yeah he might have even color blind people can be bank robbers <laughs> <laughs> yes i am being ableist yes <laughs> <laughs> okay okay very nice question very nice question i've run out of silly questions for today so i'm going to ask a serious one right. i'm going to give you a list of names okay these are all people who have uh, been granted a particular title I need you to tell me okay. uh, what title am I talking about? The first one is Henry Schnell from Prussia, Giuseppe Chiara from the then Kingdom of Sicily, now Italy, William Adams from England, Jan Eusten van Lodenstein from Habsburg, which would be Netherlands today. So these people have all been granted a particular title. and they were part of a very very exclusive list i have not given you all the names on the list but they are part of a very exclusive list of people and i need you to tell me what title were they all granted can i check the names that you haven't included in this would be giveaways is that why you have not told me or no no no, no no they would they wouldn't be giveaways actually in fact some of them we don't even know the names okay we just know that there was a person from a particular country who was granted this title but we don't know some of their names huh. i can give you one of the other names for example one name would be kim yo shol from what is now south korea the others are one was the son of yi bok nam again from south korea oh none of this make none of this has any relevance to me right now i'm not able to crack this question with the names you've given could you just repeat the names though the names i would say is henry schnell from uh, prussia mm-hmm. giuseppe chiara from sicily william adams from england jan eusten van lodenstein from uh, the netherlands no i'll need a clue have you read any particularly famous novels by james clavell featuring the character john blackthorn no i have not okay so then that's not much of a clue for you <laughs> okay not at all i would say indirectly 
think of Tom Cruise and maybe Martin Scorsese as well. Tom Cruise and Martin Scorsese. Yes. Uh, has Tom Cruise paired up with Martin Scorsese ever? I don't think so. No, no, no. Uh, not together. Don't think of them together, but all of them are in some way or form maybe very indirectly related to this this list in some ways or at least to one particular person on this list. Or oh, they're all related also, to uh, one person. Yeah, one person. But the thing is you can get an idea. So think what would be common uh, among the filmography of separately of um, Martin Scorsese, of Tom Cruise and I'll give you one more, Andrew Garfield. Actually, you can think of Martin Bo- Scorsese and Andrew Garfield together. That may give you a bigger clue. Oh boy! Andrew think of Garfield. Martin Scorsese and, and Andrew Garfield, and uh, think of Tom Cruise separately. I have no clue what Martin Scorsese film has Andrew Garfield appeared in, or what have they worked on together. Hmm. Again, and I would Tom say that. Cruise. Okay, let me give you another clue. The Martin Scorsese Andrew Garfield is a direct link to Giuseppe Chiara, who I mentioned. Oh, did they make a biopic on this person? Yes, they did. Not a biopic. It was a fictionalized uh, portrayal based off the life of Giuseppe Chiara. Giuseppe Chiara. Andrew Garfield. Oh, boy. Now, uh, Tom Cruise is not directly related to any names on this list. But something that he did could have been inspired by some of these names. A movie that he did could have been inspired by some of these names. A movie that he did. What time frame are we looking at with all these people and these events or whatever it is? Okay, so most of these are in the 1600s. Uh, but Henry Schnell is in the 1860s. 1600s. So a Tom Cruise period film. I was thinking something to do with New York because uh, biopic Andrew Garfield. He did not take a biopic. See, Tom Cruise has said not a biopic at all. It's just inspiration. Yeah, no, and I was thinking of Andrew Garfield. You said not a biopic for that also, and of course Martin. That Scorsese was also a f- fictional uh, thing, Martin Scorsese movie. Okay. But sixteen hundreds New York doesn't seem to make any sense. Yes, uh, my previous clue about uh, James Clavell. Uh, James Clavell, if you are a ardent reader of, uh, you know, some of some kind of historical friction, he was very famous for just a couple of novels. Oh wait, sorry. Tom Cruise, the only period film, at least the famous one that I can think of, uh, is The Last Samurai. Samurai? Is that the title? Yes. So, these are all foreign-born people who have been given the title of Samurai. Okay, that is very cool. Yes. So, actually, Tom Cruise's character was based off a couple of French soldiers, but they were never Hmm. actually made Samurai. Okay. So there are only, I think, around nine or ten people in history who were not not born in Japan, who were born in other countries, who officially became Very samurai. And by samurai, you, we are not talking about what our depiction of samurai are. They were a kind of nobility, and they were given the permission hmm. to carry two swords in public, and they also had the right to kill anybody of a lower standing. Okay. But then they also had to okay. follow the code of bushido. So. William Adams uh, was the character, was the person who was the model for the character John Blackthorne in uh, James Clavell's novel, novel Shogun. You may have heard of the no, novel. Oh, Shogun, of course. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So that's uh, Shogun. Uh, Giuseppe Chiara was actually a Jesuit minist- missionary. And he was one of the inspirations for Martin Scorsese's 2016 film Silence, where the lead okay. character. Of Sebastiao Rodriguez, played by Andrew Garfield, was based on Giuseppe Chiara. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. All the people who have not mentioned, as I mentioned, the, what are the names I gave was not an exhaustive list, but all the people I've not mentioned, they are all Koreans, South Koreans. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Everybody else I've mentioned, they're from Europe. The reason I went through this rabbit hole to find this, interestingly, enough was for mm-hmm. a, because of an, a very an exemplary show that I'm watching currently I've not finished it but it's so good and it's on Netflix it's called Blue Eye Samurai okay it's an animated show not safe for work 
strictly for adults but okay. it is brilliant beautiful animation i mean like just gorgeous animation hmm just fantastic very cool so then i i uh, saw a few couple of episodes of that i still have almost half the season to complete but i saw a couple of episodes and i just went down this rabbit hole on samurai no oh, that's a very cool question i love it lovely piece of trivia okay so it's time to wind up for uh, today's episode aditya what question do you have for us for next week my question is very simple uh, which other town in istanbul has sued a hollywood film and why <laughs> that's the answer you'll find out next week in my made up <laughs> questions and answers part of the show which is practically the show okay so uh <laughs> it's time for me to answer the audience question for this week uh, it was with the fall of the popularity of the popular santai series stanley who was working at uh, genpalek at the time on a trip to japan and he was very much in uh, you know ad- he admired or was enamored by this particular form of television and he signed over a famous character that he had worked on for an adaptation the series saw the first appearance of a large robot as a fighting machine in live action and paved the way paved the way for the later super sentai series which marvel character did stanley sign over to this uh, to be to appear on the sentai series aditya do you have any guesses is it by any chance spiderman yes it is spiderman <laughs> so yes if you, you can you can go on youtube and find uh, spiderman uh, and robots it's a very weird very uniquely japanese thing i've seen those those are really cool those are really fun yeah aditya what's your pop culture recommendation for this week Mm okay interesting so you have already given a few you have given <laughs> japanese spider man and uh, <laughs> this particular yeah but those are not my official recommendations i uh, blue eye samurai is still i'm i've still not finished it so final verdict is still uh, tbd but so far it's an excellent show i think it's one of the best animated shows i've watched uh, in in a long time okay well, very cool very cool you said samurai so immediately struck a bell uh, seven samurai fantastic ah, film akira kurosawa just a m- master class in filmmaking by the legend himself akira kurosawa he has done a few films and samurais do feature prominently in them rashomon comes to mind as well but seven samurai is my favorite so i would highly recommend trying out seven samurai seven samurai has been adapted into both hollywood and, and bollywood, bollywood yes. i believe the Bollywood remake was unofficial, if I'm not wrong. But uh, yes, there is it an was unofficial and wasn't yeah. very good, except for one particular song and a very beautiful Urmila Matondkar. It's China Gate, right? I think that's yes, the it's China remake. Gate. Yes, the yeah. American adaptation was the Magnificent Seven, which was in remade with Denzel Washington recently. And uh, mm, right, I have not watched the remakes, uh, both Hollywood and Bollywood, but I would recommend the original very highly. A fantastic film. Yeah, I would actually recommend of Akira Kurosawa's uh, rather more than uh, Seven Samurai, which still fantastic film. I would actually recommend Yojimbo and Rashomon mm. because Rashomon mm. also technically does feature a samurai, and Yojimbo is more of a Ronin con- character rather than a samurai, but amazing. and uh, the rashomon samurai is very much is very different from the regular portrayal of a samurai so yeah that's a great movie as well and the other thing that i want to recommend because you asked a question about neanderthals uh, again something very popular but if you haven't checked it out you must uh, sapiens the book it is an interesting read it isn't I wouldn't say it is factually accurate from beginning oh, yeah. to end but it's definitely <laughs> Which is what a I was about to mention. Point. Yeah, no it's definitely a good entry point into uh prehistory and definitely the prehistory part of it I think is fairly interesting. Um and uh, once you are interested you can go pursue much more accurate sources of information but if you haven't I think it's an easy read and it raises and poses a bunch of fun questions so yeah sapiens and they did released a, a graphic novel version recently which was also very good so both of those worth checking out yeah definitely uh, as but as aditya mentioned don't uh, let that be your end all uh, read the book and then use it as a jumping point to read more about human history what about you vinith what are the recommendations that are official my official recommendation for this week 
is a very weird show which i have to say comes with a little bit of a caveat if you are catholic okay so the show is called mrs davis mhm i don't know if you watched it uh, it may be a little difficult to access here uh, but you should probably find a way of accessing the show it's an amalgamation of faith religion and science fiction okay if i had to just tease you with one line a popular social media artificial intelligence mm. tasks a nun to go on a mission to find the holy grail what <laughs> <laughs> and that's that, just the yeah. beginning it goes bonkers after that all right i'm i am sold <laughs> i am already sold yeah okay. mrs davies uh find it any way you can try you any way you can watch it as much as watch it completely from beginning to end it's just eminently bingeable eminently watchable very well written there are certain portions which may cause catholics to be a little uncomfortable but just watch it with an open mind because uh at least in my perception of the show is that it has not been done to with any kind of disrespect but in fact it shows faith in a very strong light by the end of the show so uh that's all i have to say that is my official recommendation for this week fantastic and that's all for this episode thank you all for listening in uh, i hope you all listened uh, learned something new if you liked what you heard please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform wherever you're listening to us right now our daily stats show that a lot more people actually listen to our podcast than who are subscribed or who have left reviews and that's by orders of magnitude so please leave us a review a five star review and subscribe to us it helps reader reach a wider audience allows more people to discover and enjoy the show we'd love to hear from you feedback suggestions uh, trivia if you have any questions that you want asked on the show please send us a mail at ruquizzingme@gmail.com with the name of the quizmaster who you intend to ask the question in the subject line you can also uh, reach out to us on instagram and are you quizzing me we appreciate your support look forward to sharing more episodes with you in the future thanks again for tuning in and i hope you have a great day see you guys next week